You're listening to a Southside Baptist Church podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. For every parent in this room, it's the most critical thing of all is to ensure that you're raising your children in the way they should go and when they're old, they'll not depart from it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, dear Lord, with what power we feel, dear Lord, as we worship together. And Lord, maybe you've divinely intervened because, dear Lord, we'll probably need more worship at the end of this service than we need even now. Lord, the message that, that I deal with this morning, dear Lord, is one of the most difficult that any pastor will have to deal with, and that is marriage, divorce, remarriage. So, Lord, we pray today that our hearts are tender and sensitive to what you want to say to us today. And, Lord, we will give you the glory. Lord, cleanse me. Wash away, dear Lord. Remove any thought, any idle word, anything in my life, dear Lord, that would be displeasing to you. Let me be that vessel that you can use this morning. And, Lord, in everything that happens, we give you the glory and we... Just thank you and praise you for this time we've already had. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, amen. You can be seated. Thank you, praise team. I tell you, what a, what a powerful, powerful worship. I, I leaned over to one point and looked at, and said to Sheila, Sheila, listen to the congregation singing. And you were just, you were just singing so powerfully and God was using you. You won't often see me do this. Uh, usually I'm very uh, ticky about preaching notes and will, you know, write out a message and then rewrite it and then, then I'll eventually type it out. And, and I go to, uh, I take a lot, of, a lot of effort in trying to put it together in a way that is easy for me to preach it. But today you're going to have to bear with me because I've just got my notes written on a in a composition book, just about like any other student going to school. And uh, the subject that I'm dealing with today is very difficult. And, and let me say that uh, I don't never want to hurt anyone's feelings. Uh, I laughed, I told Sheila, I said, I told Reggie, I said, Reggie, because we were talking about when he was preaching last week and he did an excellent job. I, I said, Reggie, a couple of weeks before, even before Iva came here and spoke, I said, Reggie, um, he was saying, when, when do I need to pray? I said, well, why don't you preach next Sunday after Iva? And he said, well, where, where do you want, you know, kind of where are we or, you know, direction because we're going through Mark. And I said, well, I said, you know, we've got a little bit more material in, in Mark chapter 9 or you can go into Mark chapter 10. And uh, so Reggie called me back and he said, man, there's a lot of material in the, in the end of Mark 9, so I'm just going to stay in Mark 9 rather than going into Mark 10. Now I know why. <laughs> I almost called him and said, you rascal, you, you're gonna, you just keep going. And he would have done a great job. A lot of times I can give the difficult subjects to Reg, uh, Reggie and he just, he does a great job. So this is one of them. We're, we're talking today about divorce and Every person in this room has been affected by divorce. My grandmother, who was born in 1902, was divorced in her first marriage, and two children were taken from her by her first husband's family. My grandmother, you've heard me say, is the most devout Christian I've ever known. Uh, Just a godly, godly person. She eventually remarried my grandfather and had eight more children. She had a total of 10 children, but she was divorced at a time when literally it, uh, it was in our society unheard of. My mom was also divorced. She, had, uh, she was married, had one child, my older sister, and she was divorced again at a time when, when divorce was not very common. It was the exception to the rule and carried a lot of stigma with it. So my mom was also divorced. Both of my sisters... Both my older and younger sister are divorced. Uh, Sheila, both of her sisters, older and younger, are divorced. And probably for most of us in this room, families have been affected by divorce. You have parents, siblings, grandparents, people that have been affected by divorce. There's something that, um, that uh, I think is powerful that David Platt says that He said, few issues have caused me more grief, soul-searching, 
and study than what the Bible says about divorce and remarriage. In addition to the dozen of books and sermons I have on the subject, I have four four-inch thick files. With divorce being so common, many ministers avoid the subject to keep from hurting feelings and causing conflict. Some believe the Bible is no longer relevant to the issue in a world of no-fault divorce, the pill, living together, same-sex relationships. The church, listen to what Platt says, the church has a dismal and embarrassing track record in this area. Many believers are as casual about divorce and remarriage as are their lost friends and neighbors. In a culture that bears proudly the motto, I have the right to be happy, serial polygamy is considered a right as well as being normal. Never mind that bodies are strewn everywhere, especially children, and happiness is even more elusive for those that are in subsequent marriages. He went on to pen something that a little girl wrote. She said, the monster's here, the monster's there, the monster is just everywhere, in my milk, in my tea, doesn't it ever think of me? Mom's here, dad's there, and I'm just not anywhere. How can I say this without any force? The monster is called divorce. Jesus is dealing with that today. It is not an easy subject and one that we're going to look at and, and I think will affect us as we see His words. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Now you have to understand this is a time people are approaching the Passover there in Jerusalem and what they would do when they came out of the north. Remember Jesus, we've been watching for about a year His ministry, His teaching pouring into His disciples. So these pilgrims are coming on the east side of the Jordan. Now the reason they wouldn't go on the west side is because they'd have to go through the Samaritan area and they didn't go through Samaria. So these pilgrims are coming down from the northern part of Israel. They're coming down through Perea, and they're going to come into Jericho, cross back over, and then go on to the city of Jerusalem because the Passover is approaching. So Jesus is traveling with a lot of pilgrims that are on their way to the Passover and on their way to Jerusalem. Again, a crowd of, crowds of people came to him, and was, as was his custom, he taught them. He taught them like a rabbi as he was even walking along. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking. Now the word test there, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but it's the idea of testing to destroy. Is it lawful, now look at the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now in verse 3, Jesus said, what did Moses command you? He replied, they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus responds in verse 5, It was because your hearts were hard, and Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, and he'll be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, when they were in the house again... now. Eventually, Jesus is reclining with His disciples in a home, and here it becomes much more intense because what He said is in some ways radical. This is a pressing issue. Verse 10, when they were in the house, again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Now let me say this. Everybody look this way. This is in the middle voice. And when you look at this, the, the framework of the grammar of the Greek, what he's saying, he's answering the question that had come about because of Deuteronomy 24, and we'll look at that in a moment. What he was saying, that in this culture, where women, women meant nothing, where a woman could be just simply sent away, where she could be displeasing to a man, and he could just send her down the road. He was simply saying to the men who were asking the question, even his own disciples in a male-dominated society, he was saying, and it's in the, the, grammatical, the grammatical structure here, is what he's saying, he's alluding to the woman that is simply just sent down the road because a man doesn't, he's no longer pleased with her. Does that make sense? 
And so now what he says here, he says in verse 11, he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. He's talking to these men who just systematically just send a woman away when they get tired of her, when she's no longer beneficial. So he says to that man who does that, he says that man is guilty if he goes about and he, he marries again and again and again because in verse 12, and if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Which he, what he's saying is he sends her out. Eventually she marries again. He is not only an adulterer, he's causing her to commit adultery because he has no biblical reason to end that marriage. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, and we love you, and we give you glory. We pray now, dear Lord, in this difficult subject, people will listen, even by website, that, Lord, somehow we can work through this and understand what your word, our final authority, has to say. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me read to you. You can be seated. Let me read to you something that Kelly Clarkson said. Any of you that know... Kelly Clarkson. She was the first winner of the American Idol who saw her parents divorce at the age of six. She said, I, and this, I don't want the video yet, but the video will come. Guys, don't let me forget it because I want you to see this video, music video that she put together. This was Kelly Clarkson whose parents divorced at six. She said, I know people probably think I've been brokenhearted because of the stuff I've sung and written, she says. I love my friends and my family, but I have never said the words I love you to anyone in a romantic relationship. I shouldn't be a mother at all because I'd be horrible. I'm not willing to be that selfless. I'm not keen on marriage. Men, they come and go. Clarkson acknowledges that she fears betrayal when she said, when it comes to certain parts of my life, I won't allow myself to be vulnerable at all. I have a lot of trust issues. I don't let many people in. Making a relationship work, she said, requires too much effort. Love is something you work at. It doesn't come easily. There are going to be bad days. You're going to have to work at loving someone when they're being an idiot. People think they're just going to meet the right guy. She laughs, don't be ridiculous. The effect of divorce can be seen in Clarkson's music, especially her blockbuster hit, Because of You, which there's a reflection of her pain and more so of her parents' divorce. And we're going to listen to that in a moment, but not yet. Now, you may say, well, Pastor... Where do you stand on this? Because, you know, in looking at, uh, I, was, I was reading here, pastors kind of fall under four uh, areas. Number one, divorce is never permitted for no reason whatsoever. There's some people that hold to that. Number two, divorce is permitted for adultery only, but remarriage is not allowed. Number three, divorce is permitted for adultery, and desertion of an unbelieving spouse, but remarriage is not permitted. Number four, divorce is permitted for adultery or, desert, or desertion of an unbelieving spouse, and remarriage to believer is granted to the innocent party. And that's really where your pastor falls. I, I've been in ministry about 40 years, and I, I agree with David Platt. Reggie, I don't envy you, because this is going to be the tough issue in, in, in as would you pastor people. Now you may say, well, Brother Jeff, would you marry people that have been divorced? Yes, I will. I will marry them after I've counseled with them and they fit one of three criteria. Number one, there's been adultery in the previous marriage that resulted in the dissolving of the marriage. Number two, there has been abandonment. Now, Matthew 19, Jesus gives the exception clause in Matthew 19, which is a parallel passage, and he says divorce except in the case of adultery, so, which is the Greek word pornea. We get our word pornography. So in the case of adultery, I believe there's an exception by which people are allowed to remarry. In the case of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul talked about desertion abandonment. 
where a man or a woman is married and in the course of time just abandons, usually due to the faith, they abandon their husband or their wife and they leave them and there's desertion. I believe that can give an opportunity for a person to find happiness and remarry. This is the more difficult one, and some people might disagree. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. A lot of people have been broken, beat up in a relationship. They're divorced. They later become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and God begins to bring somebody in their life, and they begin to rebuild. Now, there are four points to this message. Some points are are shorter, some are longer. But first of all, number one, the context. If you look at Mark chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, the context of this is, is that Jesus is traveling with a group of pilgrims, as well as his disciples, and the issue of divorce comes up because the Pharisees who are motivated by simply causing Jesus to be, they're wanting to test him. It's the Greek word parazo. It's the idea that they're wanting to test him in order to stump him and thereby to cause conflict or to destroy his credibility in front of these people, this mass of humanity that are all around him. Now in rabbinical circles, this was a pressing issue. This has always been an issue and it is today. William Barclay said this, not that I agree with him. He said, perhaps the Pharisees genuinely wanted to know because it was such a hot topic in rabbinical circles. I don't know that I agree with that. And he, he kind of put that out there. Now they are in an area that is ruled by Herod Antipas. You remember that name, Herod Antipas? He had a wife named Herodias, you remember? And Herodias and Herod Antipas, you remember he was an evil man. He fell in love with his sister-in-law and he eventually uh, stole her out from his own brother and married her. Do you remember that? And then he got into a, a situation one night at his birthday party where his stepdaughter was dancing very provocatively. In other words, he was watching Dancing with the Stars. He got a little excited and in an emotional moment. He simply made the promise to Herodias' daughter. He said, I'll give you even up to half the kingdom. You just name it. She goes to her mama Herodias and Herodias says, I'll tell you what you asked for. You asked for the head of who? John the Baptist. Jesus is in this same region. He's in this same area. So it's possible that they were trying to set him up. So here's the context, context, but then we come to the conflict. Because the Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now look what Jesus said. Listen, folks, listen, look this way. It is always safe to go back to the Scripture. The Scripture is your final authority. So Jesus said, what did, what did Moses say? Now you and I need to understand that what he was saying to the Pharisees was critical. And in fact, let's go back, take a left, go back Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Go back to Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 1. Because really verses 1 through 4 deal with this, but this is what Jesus is alluding to. And the Pharisees knew it. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. Now, in this particular time, there were two schools of thought. There was Shammai. Shammai was a conservative. He was a hardliner. He basically said the only way a man could divorce his wife, the only way there could be divorce was adultery and adultery only, and that was it. In fact, if he focused on, De on Deuteronomy 24, he focused on that part that finds something indecent. You see that? Find something indecent about her. What he's saying is simply this. A man marries a woman, finds out she's not a virgin, and thereby he puts her out. That was Shammai. He was a conservative. Then you had another man by the name of Hiliel. Hiliel. And Hiliel was, uh, he was the more liberal. Uh, he had died about 20 years before this time when Jesus has asked this question. He also has a large rabbinical circle. Hiliel is, is an individual, he's a teacher, he's a scholar, he's a scribe. And he held to, the, he held to a real liberal position. Which, ladies, listen to this. A man can divorce his wife. He, he quoted in Matthew 20, I mean Deuteronomy 24, if she displeases him. Let me give you some examples. 
she burns the toast. Listen to this, and you'll love this lady. Says something bad about her mother-in-law. Turns around so quick that, her, that, that turns around too quickly, and her ankles are seen. Y'all are in trouble, aren't you? All you ankle showers. In other words, in this male-dominated society, let me ask you something. Who do you think was the more popular? Helio. In his teaching, now let me give you something else. Who was Paul a student of? What, Paul, what was Paul's teacher? Gamaliel. Let me tell you where Gamaliel came out of. He came out of the school of Helio, which meant that Paul, Paul basically was a theologically liberal individual. Isn't that strange? I thought that was strange. Now, a woman, on the, on, on the other side of it, a woman hardly had any rights whatsoever. In fact, if she divorced her husband, which some people say she had no right, she could not divorce her husband. But I've read other people that said if her husband was a leper, she could divorce him. If he was a tanner, which meant that he handled, he tanned uh, animal skins. Now that makes sense because you don't touch anything dead. So if he was a tanner, she could, she could possibly maybe divorce him. If he sexually assaulted a virgin, he could be divorced. Or if he accused his wife of prenuptial sin and it was proven false, then she could divorce him. In Roman law, and this was the Roman Empire under Roman rule, a woman had all kinds of rights. She could divorce her husband about as easily as a man could divorce his wife. Now let me take a break and speak to the conflict of divorce. I was asked one time to go to a, a divorce court. Well, I've been asked more than once. But I'll never forget the first time that I went. I went to the divorce court and, and I'm standing in this room where there are lines. Uh, I would look over here. Here would be a woman with a couple of kids and maybe her parents and there would be a line of people over here. I'd look over here, there'd be another line of people. And I watched as these people, broken up in two parties, sometimes the kids were running back and forth between mom and dad, or between the grandparents, and they're all making their way toward the courtroom where, their decision, where a decision would be decided as to who would get the kids, how would the property be, be divided, and all of that. Let me tell you, folks, listen to me very closely. Every young parent in this room... When you divorce your husband, you divorce your wife, the reality is the probability of your small children growing up and move, getting into sexual promiscuity, drugs, alcohol, and some of the issues that teenagers will face climbs from 15 to 20% up to 65 to 70%. All these people that say, well, you know, we can't stay together. We just, you know, we can't just, kids can't be the reason that we stay together. Oh, yes, they can be. Your kid's future is far more important than your personal happiness. You may say, well, pastor, this hurts. I don't mean to. But let me tell you, after about 40 years, let me tell you what every divorced person I've ever met will tell me. They say, Brother Jeff, it's the closest thing that I ever came to death. It was a gut-wrenching, difficult time in my life that I promise you, Brother Jeff, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. And what I say to people that are divorced, have, have found happiness, are remarried, what I would say to them is that you ought to be the one amening me the most. Because you don't want to see these young couples, these young families, and some of these young people who are not yet married, you don't want to see them have to go through what you've gone through. You see... In fact, I, I, I wrote a quote down here. John Piper said, death is usually clean... Listen to this. Death is usually clean pain. Divorce is usually dirty pain. Isn't that true? You know, there's never anybody innocent. In divorce, people get hurt, beat up, drugged through the mud. It's, a, it's the tragedy of divorce. And often children are the pawns, they're the weapons, especially when they're, fought, when they're small, where parents will use them to, uh, to beat up each other. You ever seen that? Tug of war taking the child and hitting them over the, their spouse over the head, using them as a, as a pawn, as a weapon to bring conflict and heartache to the one they can't forgive. Or either they're bribing them and using gifts and money and benefits to try to turn one child through bribery against another parent. And there's a tragedy there. No wonder Jesus moves from here to children. 
But look thirdly at the council. Because Jesus takes them to Deuteronomy chapter 24, and he begins to say, what did Moses command you? What did Moses do in this situation? You see, what he was saying here was during this particular time, and listen closely, in the nation of Israel among the Jewish people, divorce is as big a problem as it is in America. At biblical times, it was a major, major issue, major problem. It was a problem in this time, in men, like we said, if, 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 a wife, if a wife was seen talking to a man in public, anywhere, talking to another man, that was grounds for divorce. He could send her down the road. Hey, if he just became displeased with her, he no longer was interested in her. She didn't uh, ring his bell anymore. She, he, could, he could send her down the road. So when Jesus tells them, what did Moses command? He was causing them to go back to the Scripture in the time in the nation of Israel when Moses was trying, in essence, to control a growing painful problem. And the problem was simply this. Moses was trying to protect women in an abusive relationship where women were just sent off. They were just sent off. You, you, you burn the toast. You talk back to your mother-in-law. You turn too quickly and your ankles show. You're caught talking to a man. Anything and everything. You're out of here. You're down the road. And when people in that culture would see a woman wondering in that situation, who do you think they thought committed adultery? Her. Ostracized, alienated, no rights whatsoever. So Moses was attempting to protect this woman. I had a man recently who returned to this church. He came here. His life has been hell in a lot of ways. He looked at me and he began to talk about a problem that he was having. He said, Brother Jeff, he said, I deserve this. I knew what he was getting ready to say because he told me this before sitting in my office. He said, Brother Jeff, I've had a hundred women. He said, I've had a hundred more women. He said, I've slept with over a hundred women. And he said, but I have paid for it in my marriage and I'm now paying for it through my grown kids. He went on to make this statement. He said, my son is a better man than I because he's only slept with one so far. Wow. You know, uh, we, we live in that kind of culture, don't we? Girls, girls, young girls. He, guys only want one thing. And, and if you believe differently and you begin to compromise and start living a promiscuous lifestyle, the reality is, is that he will use you and use you and discard you, much like these people were doing in the days of Jesus. Dads, men, ladies, if you want to know what I told your husbands a little while ago, I said, be the knight in shining armor. Not only to your wives, I said, protect your daughters because you're the front line of defense against your daughters being taken advantage of by somebody. I think it was Gary Bolin. Anybody who knows Gary Bolin, Gary Bolin is a man's man. He's an evangelist, and buddy, when he preaches, you, you, you almost want to walk the aisle because he's scaring you, you know? I mean, you know. But Gary Bolin said this one time. He said, if I remember, he either did this himself or he knew a man when his daughter was getting ready to date a guy that the man did not like at all, but the daughter was old enough that she began to buck him and to give him a problem. And so he said, well, he would agree to this guy taking her out one time. And he said, this guy went and undid the hinges on the door. And he said, when this old boy came to the door... He said, he said, that guy, I don't know if it was Gary. If it was Gary, Gary has massive arms. I don't know if it was Gary or somebody he was talking to. He said that dad walked to the door and opened the door and the whole door frame fell out. And he said, what do you want, son? He said that boy was scared to death and ran to his car and never saw him again. That sounded like something Russell would do. Russell's already asking for a screwdriver. Sons, moms, let me tell you something. You flirt around with men if you're a flirt. You enjoy uh, getting the attention of men. Let me tell you something. You will cause your boys to be very untrusting. Mom and dad needs to be a model, a, a model of a monogamous relationship between one man and one woman. But it always, it's not always like that, is it? You see, Jesus goes on and he says to these 
individuals. He said, verse 5, he said, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. But notice what he does. He now goes from Deuteronomy 24 and he goes all the way back to the very beginning. And he said, let me talk to you about what God's original intent, what his idea is. His idea, his original intent, but at the beginning God created man, male and female. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What he does is he goes back to the very intention that God had from the very beginning. A man, Adam, could not be nothing but monogamous because there was nobody else there. Jesus was saying it was real simple then. One man, one woman for life. That's what God's intent is. Young people, young married couples, if you're in a difficult marriage right now, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. You may say, well, you know, my husband, my wife, they're not a believer. They're not where I met spiritually. You keep praying for them and living it out in front of them. Don't just automatically, you know, don't jump out of that marriage just because it becomes inconvenient and you're no longer happy. It's not about your happiness, it's about your holiness. Sometimes God keeps you in a difficult marriage because God's trying to make you holy, more like Him. He's knocking away things that don't look like Jesus. But see, this was God's original plan. And let me say something here. A lot of times the church sounds self-righteous, don't we? A lot of times we get on an issue like that and, and we become self-righteous. We, we pick one particular sin and we say to that individual, their marriage failed, they're divorced, they've remarried. We make them feel less than a human being. My friend, there's only one unpardonable, unforgivable sin and that is to deny God's Holy Spirit. And you and I, may we may do this at the foot of the cross. We may think, but you know, I've been in a marriage. I, I've been faithful to one person my whole life. And yeah, you've looked lustfully at man or woman over and over again. The reality is the Bible says you're just as guilty as somebody who commits adultery. No room for self-righteousness in God's house. But Jesus was talking about the seriousness of marriage. He was saying, listen, this is a lifelong commitment for the rest of your life. If you remarry, the idea here is, is from this, this is going to work. I remember Sheila was pregnant with Amy, big fat pregnant. We were in an apartment there in Starkville. And uh, she and I got in an argument. And, and here's old Sheila. She gets mad. She said, well, I'm just going to leave. And she goes wobbling out to the car. Well, she don't wobble out to the car. I don't go out after her either. She wobbled, I'm looking through the window, she's wobbling out. And we had an old 1961, 19, I think 1960 Chevrolet pickup. Jeffrey, I wish to God I had that truck, but I don't. She wobbles out there, crawls up in there, you know. And, and the next thing, I'm, I'm, I'm watching her through the window, and she's <coughs> grinding the gears. Because it was old standard manual transmission on the... And I don't know whether I got up because I love my wife and trying to save my marriage or whether I was worried about the truck. But I popped the hood of that old 1960 Chevrolet and I said, try it again. And I worked it into gear. I looked like Willie Cox. Worked, I, I, I got it into gear, slammed the hood down, walked around, got in on the passenger side. She said, what are you doing? I said, well, if you're leaving, I am too. You see, there's a seriousness about marriage. There's a sanctity about it. It's a holy union. It's a picture of Christ and His church. Uh, two businessmen, I was talking to them. One man's having problems in his marriage. And I looked at him and they were quit going to church. I said, because they've been hurt by the church, both of these men. I said, nobody's been hurt more than I. But God doesn't have another plan. His, 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 his kingdom centers around the church. The church is a picture. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is pictured best in, the, in a monogamous relationship between a husband and a wife. You know, we live in a day of live-in relationships. You know, you know what that is? That's adultery. You remember Jesus in John 4 when he met the woman at the well? You remember? He said, give me some, give me some water to drink. Now, she's a Samaritan. 
Jews didn't even have anything. They didn't even go through Samaria. They went around Samaria, and they surely didn't communicate with a Samaritan, and they surely didn't, a Jewish man, communicate with a woman who was a Samaritan, and they never would put their lips to a vessel that a Samaritan and a woman had put her lips to. And he says, give me to drink. And she, she, they get into a little bit of a conversation. He says, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. He said, you've had four or five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. You know what he was saying about living relationships? They're not right. There was a lady on Facebook, a former member of this church, who made this comment. She said, what does a piece of paper even mean? The idea of a church ceremony, marriage certificate, I mean a marriage uh, license. She said, what does that mean? It doesn't matter. Well, your birth certificate matters. There's a lot of paper, pieces of paper that matter. That matter. The title to your car matters. The title to your home, the mortgage, your, your, your paycheck is a piece of paper. There are a lot of things that are a piece of paper. Let me tell you something. Marriage is important. Living relationships need to stop. And all God's people said... But Jesus was establishing marriage in its original intent. He said, this is what God intended. And, and young people today, young people today, people that are marrying today, you can't even get a good crowd up for a, for a ceremony anymore. Most people don't even bother to come. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited because I've seen God do a miracle in Kevin and Julie's life and counseled with them and we've talked and spent time together and this Friday night, we're going to have rehearsal. Saturday, we're going to have a wedding. And these are two people now that are surrendered to Jesus Christ, living for the Lord. And God has a future and a plan for their life. And I'm going to tell you what, every one of us ought to be here to pray and encourage and be a part of that. But the reality is, young people today don't have anybody to look to anymore. You know, the president of the United States we have right now has been married how many times? Three times. And with each of those wives, he's had different children. And just in case you're a Democrat and you think I'm going to get it and let you get away, the previous president had a mental lapse between his first and second term and completely redefined the institution of marriage called LGBT. You know, young people today just simply need models because we've redefined marriage. It's, it's different now than it used to be. So Jesus begins to speak here. In Matthew 19, verse 9, he talks about adultery. He says, in the case of adultery, except in the case of adultery. Here's an exception that he begins to put out. It's, it's a, a adultery. Let me tell you this. In 40 years of ministry, when the phone rings, ask Sheila, when the phone rings, you could test me on this. When the phone rings, I can tell you if it's adultery by the sound on the other end of the phone. I, I can tell you. If it has anything to do with sexual misbehavior, uh, sexual misconduct, I can tell you because you can hear it in the voice of an individual. Listen to me. And for some of you in this room, adultery is not an automatic get-out-of-marriage-free card. That wasn't what Jesus was saying. Because sometimes God can begin to bring a person to repentance. He can begin to restore that marriage. And I've seen marriages that have been healed by adultery. So it's not automatically, Jesus was not automatically saying, let me tell you something else that I've seen. I've seen some people who wanted out of their marriage so bad, they just shut down in that marriage, began not to meet any of the needs of that individual, and they basically orchestrated a situation for adultery. And I have a hard time with that especially when I see men do that. So he goes on. There's another exception. We don't have time. I've got to close. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he talks about separation. He talks about abandonment, where a, a person is married to an individual and that person just simply abandons the marriage. They desert the marriage. And ultimately, it leads to divorce. And... People are left to pick up the pieces. There are a lot of quotes. I'm not going to read those. But um, and before we play this video, I want you to I want you to listen to me, young people. First, let me speak to the young people. Young people, look this way: never, never date anybody that you wouldn't marry. 
You hear this man up here who's poured his heart and soul. I love what Bailey said. Bailey made this statement. I think he made it to Sandy, your aunt, or Sheila somehow got it. But you know what Bailey said about being in one youth meeting where he was teaching our young people down there on Wednesday nights? She said, wow. The depth, the integrity, and the teaching of Reggie. I want to tell you something. you got a young person, and they're not shame on you. May your bottom, may your small toe on your right foot rot off. You need your young people and you need to encourage young people to be in this kind of teaching. He was the first one out of you to amen. Young people, listen, do not date somebody that you wouldn't marry. And I, I'll go this far. If you got believing parents and they're not comfortable in that dating process, back off of it. Secondly, wait. Young people, wait. Focus on your education. You may say, well, pastor, what do you know? Well, I've raised two girls and two boys. Let me tell you what I tell my girls all the time from them when they were old enough to listen. Get your education. Get your education. Look at what did I say. She, she'd, be, she'd be Brennan's age. What, daddy? Get your education. Get your education. Hold her face. Get your education. Well, daddy, I want to marry and have kids. Get your education. Daddy, I want to date and I want to get married and I want to have kids. Get your education. Go to college. Get your education. Make something out of your life. Because listen, there's a probability that your marriage may fail. And if it fails and you've got children, you better be able to make a living. And beyond that, what if you're married to a guy and one day he dies? What are you going to do? Be able to live, be able to survive. Girls, listen to me. Don't get tied up in a relationship when you're in high school, so bound up in that relationship. Listen, go to Mississippi State. There's 17,000 boys and girls up there. There's all kinds of young people. Thirdly, girls without a dad or a dysfunctional, deserter dad who doesn't have backbone, they need a godly man. They need a godly dad to protect them. And I tell you, ladies, let me tell you what I told our men this morning. Women are looking for a knight in shining armor. Daughters are looking for the dads to be a knight in shining armor. And I said this, I said, guys, for you guys that have boys, you don't teach just your girls virginity, you teach your boys virginity as well. Young married, some in this room, you're young married. Our society, Satan has declared war on marriage. Movies, music, moral collapse. You're in a, listen, you're in a spiritual war today to hang on to your marriage. Don't go into that marriage without the armor. I would suggest you go back and listen to our co-pastor Reggie who walked you through the pieces of your spiritual armor that you and I need in order to make a marriage work. Choose a mentor. You know, a lot of times young people, they don't listen to nobody, do they? Oh, they know it all. Even young married. Oh, we, you know, this, this is parenting. This is some easy stuff here, you know. They don't realize when they're 16 and 17 and your heart's being ripped out. You know, the, the old statement was among senior adults, when they're young, they, they walk on your toes. When they get older, they walk on your heart. Some of you need to choose mentors, people who've had a long-term marriage, senior adults. And senior adults, you don't need to be on the back row. You need to be involved and plugged into the life of these young married couples, encouraging them, being a part of this church, not running out. And young people, you need to listen to them. Tell me how it works. Jeanette Price, I love this story. Jeanette said, uh, her husband died a few weeks before I came here, Joe Price. She said they were on a senior, she's just like a little kid. They were, she said we were on a senior, uh, one of those outings. They used to do all this stuff. They'd go see the leaves changing up in the Smokies or whatever. They were on one of these outings when another man uh, in this church, he went over and hugged Miss Jeanette. And old Joe walked over and tapped him on the shoulder and said, look, you get over there with your own wife leave mine alone. <laughs> Miss Jeanette probably is 90 years old today, 90 years old today, and if you tell her that message, if you tell her that story back to her, you know what she'd do? She'd giggle like a little girl. Finally, give your life to Christ, sell out to Him, abandon yourself to His Lordship. 
One of the things this church is serious about in 2018, we are becoming serious about purity, holiness, walking with Christ, bringing every area of our life. Men today were challenged and already Reggie and some of our guys who are more tech savvy than I am are already working on filtering devices for your computers, for your phones, at work every place, accountability partners, conquer groups where men will be accountable to other men. If a man looks at something on his phone, it's going to go to these two other men. These two other guys are going to call him or come see him. They're going to hold him accountable because I believe purity is something, holiness, that when we have it in our life, it affects and develops us into better men, better husbands, better dads, better Christians. Let me finally say this. Jesus loves you and I regardless. He never divorces us. And you may say, well, you know, Brother Jeff, this has been painful. There's a lot of sexual behavior in my life, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of promiscuity, a lot of things. Let me tell you this much. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9 that if we will confess our sin, homo legeo in the Greek, it means to say the same thing that God says about our sin. You know what the Bible says? The Bible said He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. You have a heavenly loving Father who will never abandon you. You are the bride of Jesus Christ. And hear me, you're the bride of Jesus Christ. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you of your past. And He will never divorce you. You may try to leave him. You may go out and wobble out to your 1960. But let me tell you something. Jesus will be right there with you. Young people, young married couples, I want you to listen. You heard me read Kelly Clarkson's. You heard me read her testimony. She wrote a song about the pain that she felt from divorce. It's called Because of You. I want you to watch this video. For every young parent in this room, and I want African American to listen to me. Two thirds of the children that are aborted in this nation are aborted to African American. If there's a crisis today in the African American community, is that about 70% of African American children are growing up without a dad. We're in a predominantly African American community where marriage and the family has been attacked and all but the institution destroyed. And the same is true in the white community. The same is true across our society today. Men, men, she's looking for a knight in shining armor. For you to love her unconditionally as Christ loved the church. And as Ted Roberts says in this study, he says, when you and I stand before the Lord one day, men, we have to give an account far greater than hers. When we stand before the Lord one day, he says the Lord Jesus will look at us and he'll say, where is she? Where's the gift I gave you? Number one question. Lord, she's here. Secondly, does she look more holy than when I gave her to you? Because the Bible says we're to love her as Christ loved the church. We're to present her holy without blemish before the Lord. Men, that's our responsibility. He's going to say, does she look? And then he's going to say, where are your kids? And man, the great joy in your life is to be the kind of husband that Christ is to you, the church. He'll never divorce you. He'll never abandon you. He loves you unconditionally. You say, well, Brother Jeff, I, I've been married before. I'm remarried. Hey, listen, that's great. That's great. Greatest man I ever met, probably the greatest church member, was Clyde Harris. Never forget Clyde and I. We had a discussion one day. Clyde said, Brother Jeff, I want you to know something. I was married before, and he shared this story. His he shared his testimony. It's something that he shared publicly. And then he began to talk, and I'd almost see a tear welling up in his eye. He said, then I, he said my life was a mess. I wasn't a Christian. He said, I divorced, but he said, then I met Gene, Gene Harris. He said, I fell in love with Gene. Before long, they had a little girl named Amy, Amy Kuykendall. And uh, Amy's married now and got a boy and a girl, beautiful kids. Clyde looked at me and, and he'd say, Brother Jeff, when I found Jesus, he found Jesus in this church right here. He lived the rest of his life loving Jesus first, loving Gene second, and loving that little girl third. 
Gene, I often see the picture of your grandkids hanging on our refrigerator. And I'll sometimes tear up because they're beautiful kids. And I'll, I'll say to myself, man, I wish Clyde could have seen them. I said to Sheila, even this week, I said, Sheila, I wish Clyde could see them. But then I thought, Clyde is seeing them. He's seeing his legacy. If you're here today and you say, Brother Jeff, my life's scarred up, beat up. My wife's made mistakes. My husband's made mistakes. Uh, I've been married before, been divorced. My life's just erect. Uh, whatever it is, I'm in a living relationship. I would encourage you to get that right. But let me tell you right now, Jesus Christ loves every one of you in this room. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let Him pick up the pieces. Let Him put you back together and watch and see what God will do. But you've got to know Him first. Have you given your heart and life to Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Young people, young married couples, that right there is enough incentive for you to say, we're going to make it work. We're going to hang on. Not going to give up. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, I, I've done the best I could to preach this message, Lord. This is a hard message. Lord, I told Sheila twice this morning, my chest was hurting so bad. Because I don't want to hurt anybody. Lord, if, if, if uh, there were no exceptions, if divorce was the unforgivable sin, that I wouldn't be standing here. Because my grandmother would not have married my pawpaw. My mom would not have married my dad. And I wouldn't be here today. So Lord, I thank you that, Lord, you can bring healing and restoration. You can bring forgiveness. And Lord, you can take people and give them a life again. So Lord, I pray for every married couple in this room. I pray for married couples that are listening through the website. I think about a woman in downtown Dallas who listened to a message years ago here in this pulpit. She said, Brother Jeff, she said, I had to pull my car over in downtown Dallas. She said, I wept and cried. I couldn't drive. She said, then I called my husband and I said, we've got to talk. He was moving out, leaving me with the children. So Lord, we never know how far this may reach. So Lord, I pray for every married couple within the sound of my voice. God, you bring healing and restoration. God, you'll put a hedge of protection around these young married couples and raising small children. May mom live out a life that looks as if she's so in love, so devoted to that husband that she couldn't do anything else. And dear Lord, that those boys and girls will look and say, my mama loves my daddy. Lord, I listen to you and Jill Free share their testimony in Liberty University. And when I looked at Jill Freeze's face, her face was just broken, beat up and scarred by the, by the failure of her husband and the public spectacle of their family. And yet, dear Lord, I saw a woman who's working through that, praying, loving you, her husband, and God's beginning to restore. Lord, you can do anything and for everyone in this room today whatever decision, whatever time they need to spend at this altar, whatever you may do in their lives. For men, it may be to put some old habits and leave them here at this altar. God, speak to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.